Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 30th of January 2020. I'm Elizabeth Hill and the team this week comprises engineer Duncan Wynne and round the table with me is Jan Norris and Ian Rowe. And the clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle uh, and uh, Jay Popperwell. And uh, I think Duncan and myself and probably Jan are going to be doing the copying later on. Um, I have to thank Keir Aldis for Thought for the Day and Music by Sheila Joins. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, the thought for the week and obituaries will be at the very end after the closing music and we'll open the birthday book. Do let us know yours if we don't already know and then we'll have the past week's headlines, sunrise and sunset times. That will be followed by stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation which goes towards equipment, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, that's W-Y-L-D-S, here in Worcester, WR5 1DA. And we do thank, uh, thank anyone who has donated. It's really important to keep the service free for you all. We do like to hear from you. Any comments or complaints, suggestions for improvement, you can add a message in your wallet or leave one on the answer phone 01905 7677766. But do leave the message and be patient because we're not here every day. We are all volunteers and um, so please be patient with us. Now I'm going to give you the uh, useful telephone numbers. So here in Wilds Lane, again, 01905 767766. Now for the theatres, for the Swan Theatre and Huntington Hall, Worcester Live. Again, the Worcester Code, and it's 611427. For the Mulvin Theatres, it's 01684892277. And for the Norbury Theatre, it's again a Worcester code, double seven zero one five four. The police non-emergency number is one o one. Crime Stoppers is o eight hundred treble five treble one. The Worcester Hub, again the Worcester code, and it's seven six five seven six five. And NHS Direct is treble one. If you need out-of-hours medical assistance, and we do have an, uh, an article about that later, it's 0300 123 3211, and that's between 6 and 8pm. Okay, and I'm going to ask Ian now to tell us what's on in the local theatres, please. Thank you. 
Uh, first of all, uh, at Malvern Theatres, uh, we have uh, Johnny Cash Roadshow uh, on Saturday the 25th of January at 7.45. Currently on is Blythe Spirit, uh, starring Jennifer Saunders. Uh, this runs from last Monday the 27th to Sunday the 1st of February. Um, then there are two operas uh, by Puccini. Firstly, Madame Butterfly is on, on Sunday the 2nd of February at 7pm. And uh, Puccini's La Boheme on Sunday the 23rd of February, uh, also at 7pm. Um, for just to note, both operas are sung in Italian with English surtitles. Uh, then Vamos Theatre is performing Dead Good on Wednesday the 5th of February at 7.45. Uh, Pink Floyd UK Experience is on, on Thursday the 6th of February at 7.45. Uh, the Harmonico Consort and Baroque Orchestra are performing Bach Mass in B minor. This is on Saturday the 8th of February at 7.30. Uh, the telephone number for Malvern Theatres is 01684 uh, turning now to the Norbury Theatre in Droitwich on Tuesday, February. Uh, sorry, uh, on Tuesday the fourth and Sunday the ninth of February, uh, there's a performance of Kinky Boots the Musical, uh, 7:30 on the Tuesday and 6:30 on the Sunday. Uh, Seth Lakeman, A Pilgrim's Tale is on um, at 7.30pm on Friday the 7th of February. Uh, then the Performing Arts Panto um, with the Worcestershire Young Farmer Show is from 10.30am on Sunday the 9th of February. Uh, and Aladdin Jr., uh, is being performed on Sunday the 16th of February um, at 4pm and 7pm. Uh, the number for Norbury Theatre is 01905-770-154. And lastly, turning to the Swan Theatre in Worcester, uh, we have Robinson Crusoe and the Pirates uh, being performed from Thursday the 30th of January to Sunday the 9th of February. Uh, 7.15 Saturday matinees 2.30pm, Sunday 12 noon and 4.30pm. Uh, there is a performance of the Pontiac's pick of the Pops Dance Party, Saturday the 1st of February at 7.30pm. 
David Badiel Trolls Not the Dolls is on on Thursday the 6th of February at 7.30pm. There's Quadrophenia Night featuring the Atlantics Live, Friday the 7th of February at 7.30pm. And Sam Baker Duo, Sunday the 9th of February at 7.30pm. The box office number for The Swan is 01905-611-427. Thank you, Ian. And I'm going to ask Jan now if she'll open our birthday book, please. So, on the 4th of February, we have a birthday, and this is for Joan Johnson. And Joan, we wish you a very happy birthday and send all best wishes to you. Thank you. Yeah, happy birthday. And now I'm going to read the headlines for the last week, and they are Drink driver fled into hospital site Woman's plea after her mother's death Pervert took photos of girl Man, 27, dies after stairs fall at bar Patient left in cancer limbo and Amos condemns biased planners. And with the first of the stories, I'm going to hand over to Jan. Okay. A dad caught drink driving for the second time was chased by police into the grounds of a Worcester hospital, just yards from emergency patients. Madeline Pound, who was two and a half times over the drink drive limit, was spared jail after he told magistrates he had a packaging job and a child to support in Romania. Speaking through an interpreter, the 22-year-old appeared teary-eyed in the dock after admitting drink driving, failing to stop when directed by police and driving while disqualified and using a car without insurance at Worcester Magistrates Court. Police in a marked car responded to reports from other officers that Pound had failed to stop his Mazda 6 at around 2.40am on December the 22nd last year. Ralph Robbins-Landricombe, prosecuting, said that Mazda was in Pershaw Lane, travelling from the direction of Spetchley towards Junction 6 of the M5. Officers had activated their blue lights and sirens, but Pound continued driving the car along Pershaw Lane, turning onto the B4636 towards the city, entered Newtown Road and turned left into Charles Hastings Way, into the grounds of Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The offending vehicle drove past the emergency department, where there were pedestrians standing, and entered a car park which was a dead end, said Mr Robbins Landricombe. There the driver was detained and identified, failed an initial roadside breath test and was arrested. The two evidential readings were 89 micrograms of alcohol in 100 mils of breath, more than two and a half times the 35 microgram limit. The defendant had a previous conviction for drink driving from July the 25th last year. He was banned from driving until May the 24th, 2021, at the time of the incident. Pound told officers he had been loaned the car by his cousin. He said he'd not noticed the first police car, but when he saw the second one, 
he realised it was meant for him. Sumreen Asfar, defending, said Pown had entered timely guilty pleas and made full and frank admissions to the officers in interview. Pown had been drinking when his girlfriend, who has mobility issues, telephoned him because she wanted his assistance. He stupidly borrowed the vehicle from his cousin and decided to drive. He fully accepts it was a silly decision on the spur of the moment, said Miss Asfar. She told the court he was very sorry for his actions and was employed as a packer by an agency working five days a week. He supports his child who lives in Romania. She is four years old, said Miss Asfar. Magistrates sentenced him to eight weeks in jail, suspended for 12 months and banned him from driving for 46 months, a longer ban to reflect that this was the second time he'd been caught drink driving within 10 years. The total combined fines and costs handed to Pound of Port Street, Evesham, were set at £928, which will be added to his existing fines and paid off at a rate of £20 per week. A heartbroken woman is appealing for help to get her brother cremated so she can bring his remains back from Spain after he died of sepsis aged 35. Claire Green made the desperate plea for help to pay for a cremation after flying to Fuerteventura and says she won't come home without her brother's remains. Claire, aged 37, travelled to the island where her brother Philip Pip Green was living after hearing he was ill, but he died before she arrived. She said not one person went to see him. He died alone on this island. I came to Fuerteventura to get my brother and I won't go until I do. The grieving sister from Toledine wants to raise €3,200, £2,696, for the cremation. She said, this is just a cremation. I'm asking for donations so I can bring Pip home and give him the service he deserves with his family and long-term friends. She is not sure how long her 35-year-old brother suffered from sepsis, but believes it was meningitis turned nasty. Claire said, I got a phone call from a friend who said that my brother is in hospital. I immediately tried to get a flight, but couldn't get one until two days after. I got here, went straight to the hospital, got taken to a room and was told he died on January the 14th with sepsis in the lungs. Philip moved to the Canary Islands in 2009 to join his sister and parents after they emigrated in 2004. Pip continued to live in Spain, even though Claire moved back to Worcester in 2018 after the death of her mum Elizabeth and dad Philip, who both died after battling with cancer. Pip was taken to hospital on January the 10th and died four days later. Claire said Pip was a well-liked person, but once Mum died and I left, he went downhill big time. The cost is just for a cremation, as we're going to have his service when I get home. 
Pip and Claire were students at Elgar High School, which closed its doors in 2009 and reopened as Tudor Grange Academy Worcester. A GoFundMe page was set up by Claire on January the 18th and so far has raised €1,426, which is £1,201. The post on the funding page said, There are no words to describe what has happened. For those who don't know me, help. I'm currently in Spain, Canary Islands, trying to sort out my little brother's funeral. As most of you are aware, in 2003 I lost my dad to cancer, then in 2018 I lost my mum to cancer also. Now in 2020, another loss. With the restrictions and not being financially secure, earning minimum wage and not having a pot to pee in, so to speak, I am asking for support so I can get my little brother cremated. Just all basic. I'm not asking, I'm pleading for help. No matter how small the donation is, every little bit helps. For donations towards the cause, visit www.gofundme.com forward slash f forward slash pip hyphen philip hyphen green forward slash donate. Uh, this item uh, you may like to skip if you wish. Um, this is about a pervert taking photographs. A granddad who took indecent photos of a naked girl of six has been jailed. Paul Avery was jailed for three years at Worcester Crown Court after he took the explicit photos and videos of the girl. The 62-year-old of Sanctuary Close denied causing or inciting a child to engage in sexual activity, a charge that will lie on file. However, he admitted taking indecent images of children between December 28, 2014 and August 25, 2017, which were found on his device. Michael Aspinall, prosecuting, said the defendant had answered no comment to questions put to him by police in interviews. In a victim statement, the mother of the girl said her life and that of her family had been turned upside down by the defendant's actions, which she called a selfish act. Her daughter no longer wanted contact with men, she said. The mother had to take a year off work due to depression and because she did not want to leave her daughter alone. Guy Wyatt, defending, said he would make a bold submission that the sentence could be suspended. This is an unsophisticated man. He is 62 years old. He is not a man of good character, but so close to it... I invite your honour to say he can properly be treated as one, said Mr Wyatt. He also said the defendant had been identified as low risk by the probation service, the pre-sentence report. Avery has a conviction for an unrelated offence, benefit fraud, dating back to 1998. Judge Robert Jukes QC said there had been an unusually large number of court appearances before the defendant admitted what he had done, but agreed that his previous conviction was not relevant to this sentencing exercise. 
Judge Jukes told Avery it was a dreadful thing to see a man of his age charged with such an offence. It seems to me I have no choice but to pass an immediate custodial sentence. I have to take account of the dramatic effect that this has had, said the judge. He jailed Avery for three years, made a sexual harm prevention order, which includes preventing Avery using internet-enabled devices without oversight of the police. A restraining order was also made. Both orders were made until further order. Avery was already registered as a sex offender after making previous admissions. The judge said he had to sentence him for taking 19 Category B images of that girl aged 5 or 6 and 249 further images including four videos at Category C, all images of her naked. He described the sexual images as posing. Judge Dukes said the defendant had also searched the internet for other images of children in sexual poses. Tributes have been paid to a young man who died after falling down the steps while leaving a bar in Worcester City Centre. James Aitchison Hill was killed by the accidental fall at Heroes in Friar Street shortly after 10pm on Saturday, January the 18th. The 27-year-old dad was taken to hospital but died the following day, Sunday, January the 19th. Emergency services were called at around 10.20 on January the 18th and police launched an investigation, but Mr Aitchison Hill's death is not being treated as suspicious. The popular young man, who worked as an engineer at Mazak in Worcester, was described as much-loved by his family. In a statement, Mr. Aitchison Hill's parents paid tribute to him, saying, James was a devoted father to his son Eddie, a much-loved brother to Niam, and a beloved son to us both. He was always thinking of others and putting them before himself. He had a great many friends which he was still in contact with from school and was a keen Liverpool football club supporter and would regularly go to Anfield with his friends to watch his team play. He loved his work as a senior applications engineer at Mazak in Worcester where his colleagues have described him as a rising star. We would like to thank everyone for their kind wishes and sympathies and know James would be touched with all the love the family is receiving at this very difficult time. Police have passed a file on Mr Aitchison Hill's death to the coroner, a spokesman said. Detective Constable Bev Hamilton said, Unfortunately, James died as a result of injuries he sustained after a tragic accident while exiting a bar in Friar Street. There are no suspicious circumstances and we want to convey our sympathies to the family and our thoughts remain with them at this heartbreaking time. A spokesman for Heroes said, We're devastated and just so sorry that someone has suffered such a serious and ultimately fatal accident in the bar and would like to offer our sincere condolences to James's family and friends. Our door staff were present at the time of the fall and called the ambulance immediately. 
Alan Mucklow, Mazak's Managing Director of UK Sales and Services, said Mr Aitchison Hill was very well respected and well liked. Mr Aitchison Hill had been promoted to a senior role during his four years at Mazak and had represented the company in Japan last year. It was a great shock to hear that James had passed away. He was a very well-liked member of the applications team here at Mazak, said Mr Mucklow. His passion for Mazak was a reflection of how highly we valued him. A man has been less scared for his health following a mix-up that has resulted in him not receiving surgery to remove a tumour. Anthony Watts, 54, was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2018 and after a total of 12 biopsies was told he would need surgery. Mr Watts said, Back in November I was given three options to try and get rid of the cancer. Radiotherapy, keyhole surgery or open surgery. I opted for keyhole surgery as I felt it was the least invasive procedure. I was told by the Worcestershire Royal Hospital that I would need to be transferred to Wolverhampton for the surgery, which was fine. I hadn't heard anything for a while after that, so I phoned the hospital and was told by a nurse that I'd been booked in for open surgery at Worcester. I was so frustrated. I hadn't been given any information at all, and I had been booked in for the wrong operation at the wrong hospital. I later found out that my referral had been sent to the wrong department in Wolverhampton. Mr Watts of Lowesmore is still waiting for surgery and he doesn't know when he is likely to receive it. He continued, I cannot believe the negligence. I understand that hospitals are busy, but this is little consolation to me. I'm scared for my life. Surely the longer the tumour is in me, the greater the risk that it will spread. I have been to the GP, the hospital, a solicitor, and now the press. I am out of options. My anxiety is so high, I feel worse now than I have ever felt. Mr Watts moved to Worcester to be closer to his three sons and three grandchildren. He spends the majority of his time with them. He said, this is so hard for my family, the not knowing. My mum is elderly and keeps ringing me up asking for news, and I have nothing to tell her. It's the same with my eldest. He is in the army. He keeps asking me when I'm having surgery, and I have to tell him I don't know. It isn't fair on any of us. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said, We're sorry to hear that Mr Watts is unhappy with his contact with our hospital so far. While we can't go into detail on individual cases for confidentiality reasons, all patients requiring surgery are fully involved in decisions around their care. We are in regular contact with Mr Watts to reassure him that we are doing everything we can to ensure he receives the most appropriate treatment for his condition as soon as possible. A furious councillor has called for an investigation into the council's own biased planning department and has accused it of not being fit for purpose. 
Councillor Alan Amos, who has been a part of Worcester City Council's planning committee for 11 years, including a stint as chairman, said he has no confidence in the council's planning department and has called for a root and branch investigation for completely ignoring the views of the city's residents. Councillor Amos has demanded a meeting with council bosses to look into the performance of the department. The City Council has defended the Planning Committee and officers saying that they have to follow rules. He said, As city planning is now so blatantly biased in favour of developers and takes no notice of residents, I now have no confidence in Worcester planning, which is clearly unfit for purpose. It seems to be acting as nothing more than an agent for developers, whilst the views of local residents in whose interests they should be operating and whose communities are being destroyed by these decisions are completely ignored and overlooked. Even when developers change their plans, they are not charged another application fee, so they are getting advice on how to get what they want free of charge. The advice of any enforcement action against developers and unauthorised works is now a joke. No wonder the department's performance was recently found to have been so bad that the government was going to step in, take it over, and no wonder that planning fee income has fallen alarmingly this year. Councillor Amos said he has had growing concerns about how the planning department has operated in recent years. Encapsulated by a disastrous meeting on Thursday, January 23rd, when the committee U-turned on a plan for flats and bungalows in Malvern Road, having refused it only a month earlier. That meeting perversely voted to overturn a decision made by committee only a few weeks before, with nothing having changed, to refuse permission to demolish a large, beautiful house in Malvern Road and build a monstrous block of flats and concrete over the garden, he said. A City Council spokesman said... There is an agreed procedure which is followed if members of planning committee are considering voting to refuse an application which has been recommended for approval. The committee votes to defer the application on the basis they are minded to refuse it and there will then be a further report to a subsequent meeting. This examines the grounds for refusal in detail and gives a professional opinion on whether the council would be able to defend an appeal. After considering the second report, the committee then votes to either refuse or grant permission. This procedure was agreed by the committee in 2008 and reviewed in 2018 when the committee agreed to continue with it. The Council's Planning Committee of January 23rd U-turned on the plan by Loxley Homes to demolish a large two-storey detached home known as Mayfield in Malvern Road and replace it with the said flats and bungalows. During the planning meeting, Council Amos, appalled by the approval, said the committee had acted in a perverse manner 
and was setting a dangerous precedent. So those are the headline stories, and I did omit to give you the sunrise and sunset times. My apologies. So sunrise is now 7.53 and sunset 4.52pm. So it's rapidly getting lighter later, which is great. I'm going to hand over to Jan now to start us off with the rest of the stories from this last week's papers. Thank you, Jan. Tributes had been paid after the last survivor of a key Second World War naval battle died. Bill Wedge, who served on board HMS Worcester during the Channel Dash in 1942, died earlier this month at the age of 98. Mr Wedge originally joined the Navy in 1938 and his son-in-law Ron Crompton said his name was actually John Francis Wedge but he was given the nickname Little Bill after his father who was nicknamed Boson Bill had served in the Merchant Navy so the name Bill stuck with him for the rest of his life. He was born in south-east London. There was not much money about, but he got a free place at one of the local schools. He then joined Barclays Bank at 17, a year before the war started. He had joined the Naval Volunteer Reserve, so he was called up in 1939. Mr Wedge spent time on minesweepers in the Thames, seeing the Dunkirk evacuation and the bombing of London. He was then sent to HMS Worcester, where he served in the famous Channel Dash. Mr Wedge went back to working at Barclays after the war, going on to open its first branch in China, and is survived by his three children, seven grandchildren and nine great-grandchildren. The Channel Dash saw German battleships, the Scharnhorst, Gneisenau and the cruiser Prince Jürgen Jägen attempt to race back through the channel to get to a less exposed port in northern Germany, having been damaged in bombing raids. The RAF and Royal Navy tried to race to meet them there, sending six destroyers into the channel alongside three destroyer escorts, 32 motor torpedo boats and around 450 aircraft. The three large German ships were escorted by destroyers and torpedo boats with a sizable Luftwaffe presence in the air. The Channel Dash is considered a British failure. As despite the Gneisenhauer being severely damaged and the Scharnhorst hitting two mines, the ships all made it through the channel and safely to port. The Worcester lost 23 men killed and 45 wounded of a crew of 120. It had also sustained six hits from the heavy German guns, and its funnel was seriously damaged. In addition, the number one boiler room was flooded, leaving the ship dead in the water and requiring tugs to bring it back to Britain. Despite sustaining heavy damage during the Channel Dash, the Worcester was repaired, and continued to serve until 1946, when it was sold for scrap. The three German ships carried on being attacked by the British, and the Scharnhorst was eventually sunk on Boxing Day 1943. 
Prince Eugene was surrendered to the Americans in 1945 and was towed to a Pacific atoll to be used as a nuclear test target after the war. Gneisenhau was stuck in port until 1945 and was eventually sold for scrap in 1950. A nine-year-old who starred in the film Cats with Rebel Wilson and Dame Judi Dench says performing is her passion. Olivia Brooks, who trained in singing and dancing at Academy Theatre Arts in Worcester, played one of the Mouse Sisters in the film and went to New York to attend the world premiere. Olivia said, We had to sing and dance at the same time and act in certain parts. It was really fun. My character is a kind of cheeky, excited character, really bubbly, and does whatever Jenny Anydots, the cat in charge, played by Rebel Wilson, says. Olivia said the most exciting part of the process was going to Warner Brothers Studios. It was really exciting seeing how it all works. We saw a green screen. We wore different big blue cat suits which had orange diamonds and fur to make us look like mice. I had pink shoes with a flower on and crochet and a crocheted jacket and a little paper hat with big bow. Olivia has also starred in stage production of Nativity where she played Belle and understudied various characters. The show toured for two months and there were two shows a day. The musical starred Sharon Osbourne, Danny Dyer and Rylan Clark Neal. When Olivia is not performing, she attends Franche Community Primary School, Kidderminster. She said she has no trouble fitting her in her education around her performing arts work. Olivia was signed up with Stagebox, a performing arts training model, aged seven. Stagebox auditions thousands of children each year in theatres across the country and trains company members during the school holidays. Olivia goes to London in the holidays for training and is managed by the company. Olivia said she wants to continue to pursue a career in performing as she gets older. I love it, she said. The next Stagebox auditions are at Bristol Old Vic on March the 8th and Birmingham Hippodrome on March the 15th. Visit stageboxmusicaltheatre.co.uk forward slash book hyphen audition. The last bank left standing in St John's is to close. Lloyd's Bank in New Road will go along with 55 branches across the country as part of streamlining measures by the financial giant. The closure will mean there will be no banks left in St John's. The banking giant reassured residents as recently as 2017 that this branch would not close. Locals fear losing the bank would increase isolation among elderly people and force local businesses to spend more money. City Councillor Richard O'Dell, who represents St John's on the City and County Council, said it is a terrible blow to the area. 
I know banks are closing branches all across the country, but I'd ask them to reconsider. A number of elderly people I know live in the area who use the bank as a lifeline. They don't do internet banking and they'll be forced to go into the city centre as they'll have no other choice. The councillor remembers when there was a Barclays, an HSBC and a NatWest in St John's. Tim Reeves, aged 48, employee of Narrowways Butchers, said it'll be bad for the staff who work at the bank. I don't think the elderly will be impacted too much as we take card payments in the shop and the older people are used to paying by card. City Councillor Chris Cawthorn said it's a great shame the branch is closing and a big blow to residents. It's not good for local people. In my opinion, it's a retrograde step. A Lloyds Banking Group spokeswoman said, We are committed to having the largest branch network in the UK. In addition to our branches, all our customers can also use the post office to access their banking locally, alongside our mobile branches, which visit many rural communities. This is in response to changing customer behaviours and the reduced numbers of transactions being made in branches. The bank said branches for the CHOP will close between April and October 2020. The move is expected to mean staff numbers will be cut by under 80, as many employees are to be redeployed in other branches. So, will you be affected by the closure? You're invited to ring the Worcester News reporter Stephen Collins on 01905 742254. An under-threat bus service, which would have left residents on the edge of the city stranded, will be free at weekends next month after a deal was struck by a councillor. The Weekend 37 bus, which runs between Worcester and Northwick via Ombersley Road, was reinstated in late November last year after local councillor Andy Stafford stepped in to save the Saturday service. The bus will now be free to use every Saturday in February which Councillor Stafford hopes will help secure the long-term future of the service and offer a genuine and green alternative to driving into the city centre. Councillor Stafford said the 37 bus service is a lifeline for residents in Clanes, with many dependent upon it. After saving the Saturday 37 bus service in November last year, it was clear that more action was needed to encourage people to use the service to help secure its future for the long term. There are five Saturdays this February, so there are five great opportunities for those that don't usually consider using the bus to give it a go for free. I hope that people will choose to leave their car at home, go green and make taking the bus a regular habit. This will help secure the long-term future of the 37 bus and they will be supporting their neighbours that depend upon the bus service. I'm also delighted to announce that extra buses have been added to the Monday to Friday 37 bus service. There will now be a full service at times when people need to get to and from the city for work, making the bus a genuine alternative to the car. 
We've come a long way since the autumn when the Saturday service was withdrawn and the whole service was under threat. Councillor Stafford used his Worcestershire County Council divisional fund, which councillors can use to fund and support local initiatives to support the free February weekend bus. First Bus said it planned to scrap the service in October because of falling passenger numbers and increased costs. Extra buses will also run during the week for at the at least the next two years. Due to money from housing developer Bellway tied to the new cherry orchard plan at Gwilliams Farm in Bavere. Buses will leave earlier at 8.10am from Green Lane off Ombersey Road in Bavere and leave Crowngate bus station in the city centre later at 6.30pm and 17.15pm. Worcester City's greatest legend of all time and FA Cup hero Harry Knowles has died aged 87. The centre forward had two spells at St George's Lane between 1956 and 1962, interrupted by 18 months at Cardiff City, and in total played 200 games for City, scoring 148 goals. In 1958-9, he led the line when Worcester knocked Liverpool out of the FA Cup and both of City's goals were as a direct result of Knowles unsettling experienced men on an icy pitch. Soon after City's cup run was over, he transferred to Cardiff for a then-club record fee of £3,000. Knowles made eight Football League appearances without scoring, and in September 1961 he rejoined City. Having taken up work as a van driver, Knowles returned to Southern League football and carried on scoring goals for another two seasons. He eventually moved from Worcester to Wellington Town in July 1962, when age and injuries were catching up with him. Knowles rejoined his former clubs Starbridge and Oswestry for short spells in 1964, before moving to Cornwall as player-coach of St Just in the South Western League. He made his home in Penzance and took up fishing. Knowles excelled at his new sport and twice won the Europe, European Sea Angling Championship. A city spokesman said, Harry is undoubtedly one of the most popular players ever to don a city shirt. Harry visited the lane on a number of occasions following his retirement and his affection for his old club was very apparent. He was always happy to share stories about his time here and always brought with him his photo album to show his treasured pictures from his time at Worcester. Harry had not been in the best of health for some time, but it's hard to believe that the greatest city legend of all time is no longer with us. Born in Hednesford, Staffordshire, on September the 8th, 1932, Knowles earned a professional deal with Walsall in 1950-51, but was released after only 10 league games. He started work at a bookbinders and signed for Starbridge before starring at Kidderminster Harriers alongside future England international Jerry Hitchens. National service disrupted his career 
and Knowles played for Oswestry Town before returning to Kidderminster. Worcester signed him in May 1956 and he soon became popular with his all-action, no-nonsense style of play. Knowles for goals became a popular saying. In the 1956-57 season he scored 43 goals and the next season he got 45, including a dramatic last, last gasp equaliser against Aldershot in the FA Cup. During the 1958-59 term his reputation spread as he led the line in the famous FA Cup run, scoring twice and setting up the opening goal against Millwall before guiding Worcester home against Liverpool. And now some basketball news. Worcester Wolves lifted the Basketball League Cup for the first time in their history after beating Bristol Flyers 67-59 in the final in front of a record 9,300 fans at Arena Birmingham. Amir Williams was named MVP after dominating the paint at both ends. The 6 feet 11 inch former Memphis Grizzlies NBA Summer League centre posted 23 points on 73% shooting, completing a double-double with 13 rebounds and adding five big blocks. There was sure to be a new name on the cup for the first time in 11 years, with Wolves seeking to make up for defeat in the final two years ago and Flyers competing in their first BBL showpiece game. And it was Matt Newby's Wolves that led from tip to buzzer, as Williams scored eight first-quarter points and grabbed four of his boards in the opening ten minutes, helping Wolves to an early 16-10 edge. The lead peaked at 14, three minutes into the second half, following a fearsome de defensive display as Williams scored his team's first seven points of the third period to make the score 41-27, capping a 14-4 run across the break. And that gave them enough to see off a late Bristol comeback. Flyers got, to, got back to within one shot, heading into the final three minutes, but Birmingham native guard Coffee Josephs scored the key basket to keep them at arm's length and added a pair of late free throws to seal it. On raising his first piece of BBL silverware, Worcester head coach Newby said, This is big for the organisation and for me personally, but a huge one for the players. They're a young group, the youngest in the BBL this year, and it's a big statement. Williams said... I knew if I came in here and trusted the coach's game plan, played my game and as hard as I can, then we can accomplish anything. This was the first step, but we want more than this, a lot more. Wolves' previous honours were lifting both the playoffs crown and BBL trophy during the 2013-14 campaign. They lost in the 2017-18 BBL Cup final to Cheshire Phoenix in Birmingham. And now to rugby. Boss Alan Solomons was left disappointed after Warriors' messy defeat to Wasps at six ways. The Worcester director of rugby was clearly disappointed after his side's loss 
and put it down to a messy breakdown and an inability to build on momentum. Warriors had led 13-5 to five at half-time, but struggled to get going after the break, as Wasps came from behind to score three tries in the second period and take victory. Very disappointing, Solomon said. It was a game I thought we should have won. Even at the death we had the chance to win it. The breakdown was very messy. Key was to make the end of the first half count in the first ten minutes of the second, but we conceded a penalty and that didn't help. They got some points so we couldn't build on the momentum. There were a lot of swings in the match. Despite the nature of the game, Solomon still believed his side had a chance to win and was slightly aggrieved at a decision that proved costly. Ollie Lawrence looked to have forced Zach Kibberidge over the try line, which would have meant a five-metre scrum to Warriors. But the referee awarded a penalty to Wasps when Worcester were chasing a match-winning score. At 26-23, to 23, we should close that game out, he said. We gave them a long-distance try. Then we had the chance to win at the end, and the breakdown was an issue there. I certainly thought it was our five-metre scrum which would have helped us a great deal. The breakdown was so messy, and it really prevented us. But, like I said, I will have to go back and look at it, as I was quite away from it. It's disappointing to go into the break with a defeat, and we would want to rectify that, but we have played a lot of rugby this season. Warriors now have a two-week period without a game and players and staff will all take a 10-day break before the next game against Bath. Solomon's added, everyone will have 10 days off. We've played every weekend since September, so everyone needs 10 days away. And on to football. Manager Ashley Vincent pulled no punches following City's 2-0 defeat at Coventry United and admitted we were beaten by the better side. Second half goals from Tyler Haddo and Joshua Grady punished a sluggish Worcester performance at Butts Park Arena, the subject of a recent revamp that includes a new synthetic playing service. But Vincent was in no mood for excuses and vowed to readdress the fundamentals that had been the cornerstone of a five-match unbeaten run prior to a setback which fired United level on points with Midland Football League Premier Division leaders Newark Flowserve. We were sluggish and did not get going, said Vincent, whose side went down to 13th. It wasn't like us to be off them in the sense of being in and around our men, closer and more aggressive, and we were beaten by the better side. We did not start well and got done by two set pieces. We gave away silly fouls, something we thought we had ironed out over the past couple of games, but that side of it crept back in. The first goal came from us not getting close to our man, which was criminal, and if you are not at the races in terms of creating chances and being clinical, you get punished. People will never get anything other than disappointment from me when we have been beaten. But the thing that angered me most was that I don't feel like we had a go. The boys have been fantastic, 
probably for a good three months now, and as a group we let ourselves down, so there is a massive disappointment. We came up against a side that was ready. They started well, and we didn't match them in any area, nor did we get the ball down and play on a good surface. I have no qualms. We were beaten by the better side on the day, and we have to move forward and quickly. We have to get back into training and put right all of those things. I am hoping it is a reality check for us all. Salt was rubbed into the wound when striker Marco Adagio was sin-binned by referee Callum Park late on. It was ridiculous, said Vincent. Marco was speaking to one of their players who had gone down softly. The referee assumed Marco had called him soft, not the player. It seemed like the referee was always going to make a decision. I have no problem with Marco. It, was, it has never been in his character to show dissent, so I was shocked. Once I heard what he was in the sin bin, what he was sin binned for, it was massively disappointing that someone could get something so wrong. But we move on. Players are not subjected to suspensions for sin bins. The tables turned on City in the defeat to the decide they had ousted from the FA Vars ten days earlier. City never totally got to grips with the artificial surface with Craig Jones's effort which brushed the post via the glove of his former Bromsgrove sporting teammate Reese Francis as close as the visitors went. Dan Gizef pulled off a fine save early on while Francis then earned his corn from the best opening of the half by tipping Jones's header against the post. Haddo flicked in O'Grady's corner seven minutes after half-time before Matt Gardner confused codes at the home of Coventry RFC, blazing a 55th-minute penalty onto the railway line behind the goal after Sam Hall had needlessly upended Haddo. The penalty let-off spurred on City momentarily, with Liam Lockett's free kick inches from being turned in but the home side doubled the advantage on 63 minutes when man of the match O'Grady curled in a free kick from 20 yards after Curtis Muiz had fouled Haddo. Both sides pressed after that, but chances were at a premium and United ran out deserved winners. And that completes our sports lot. <clears throat> a little bit for everybody, hopefully. The University of Worcester is one of the best in the country for being inclusive, the university's pro-vice-chancellor has said. Ross Renton was speaking after the Office for Students said universities should significantly reduce the gap between disadvantaged young people and their more advantaged peers taking degree places or face possible financial penalties. Youngsters from the most advantaged areas of England are more than six times as likely as their less advantaged peers to go to one of the most selective institutions, analysis by the university watchdog has found. And the most selective institutions have now agreed tough targets with the Office for Students for the next five years as part of attempts to improve access. 
asked. Mr Renton said, The University of Worcester is one of the best universities in the UK for welcoming students in a truly inclusive way. Over 97% of Worcester students were educated in state schools, compared to less than 90% nationally. Worcester's outstanding record meant that it was one of just six universities in the whole of the UK shortlisted as a finalist in the 2019 UK Social Mobility Awards. This record of achievement stems from Worcester pioneering the whole institution approach to inclusion some ten years ago. We believe that everyone has a fundamental right to education and the opportunity to make the very best of their own potential. In a recent report from the Higher Education Policy Institute, Worcester was ranked 8th out of 132 UK institutions for ensuring that people from all backgrounds have the chance to study at university. We undertake wide-ranging work with schools and colleges to raise aspirations and offer support for prospective students to ensure they get high-quality advice and guidance in all aspects of their university application. From the moment a student joins the university, there is extensive support on offer to help them to flourish during their studies. And now a safety alert. Phone scammers are targeting residents in a county town. The caller claims to represent Amazon Prime, a paid subscription service offered by the online retailer Amazon, giving people access to services such as free two-day delivery when calling homes in Malvern. A spokesman for Amazon said, We take phishing and spoofing attempts on our customers seriously. We will never call a customer for payment outside of our website. If a customer has concerns or receives a call they believe is not from Amazon, they can check the amazon.co.uk help pages for guidance. Customers should never provide personal or financial information to unsolicited callers or ask them to take any actions on their Amazon account. The scams start with an automated telephone call, ending with the victim downloading a piece of software which gives the criminal access to the victim's computer. The victim is then asked to log on to their online banking account, at which point the fraudster can steal their banking details or even distract the victim while money is transferred out of their account. A spokesman for BT said, BT Call Protect will help customers avoid nuisance calls on their landline by diverting unwanted calls to junk voicemail. The service is completely free to all BT Home phone customers, making it simple to divert nuisance calls. If you receive a nuisance call, hang up the phone, dial 1572 and follow the simple instructions to add it to your personal blacklist. The scam has been reported across the country from Somerset to the north of Scotland. Action Fraud, the National Reporting Centre for Fraud and Cybercrime, has received many calls about the scam since last September, of which at least 200 were from people who were tricked out of more than £400,000 in total. 
Detective Inspector Emma Wright from West Mercia Police Economic Crime Unit said, We're advising all reports of these calls to be passed on to actionfraud.police.uk and reminding computer users to evaluate their online safety. Tips include ensuring you have up-to-date security software and using secure passwords. If you are able to, I would recommend visiting actionfraud.police.uk who have detailed advice. I would just like to add um, a personal message, really, for you to be aware. Although this took place in Malvern, um, we actually at home did receive a call this week purporting to be from Amazon. And if it's uh, on a landline, if you dial 1572 and follow the instructions, which actually are very simple, that blocks that number for the future. So the blocking number is 1572 and then follow the instructions and you can block that number. But this phishing and all the rest of it is really rampant. So please be aware. Thank you, Ian. 60 years ago, you could gather by the level crossing in Henwick Road, near where a modern medical centre now stands, and feel the earth move as a castle-class steam locomotive thundered through, pulling the Cathedral's Express from Hereford to Paddington, London, via Worcester, Shrub Hill, Evesham, Morton in Marsh, Charlbury, Oxford, etc., etc., there was a time, not that long past, when every young boy was supposed to want to be a train driver when he grew up. Not me personally, says the author of this piece, Mike Price, but I could see the attraction. Those mighty steam locos seemed to live and breathe. They were huge mechanical beasts, snorting and huffing, hissing and belching as they traversed the country, leaving smoke trails rising in their wake. A lot of the romance went out of the railways when diesel took over, but the continued success of the railway preservation societies has shown there is plenty of life in the old dog yet. In fact, one of the oldest, Worcester Locomotive Society, celebrates its 60th anniversary in 2020. So let's give a blast of the guard's whistle to all those who have contributed over the years. It was founded in 1960 by a clutch of teenage enthusiasts and rapidly grew to become an important restoration society with a substantial membership, at one time more than a thousand. Its early progress was undoubtedly helped by the booming personality of Sir Gerald Nabarro, who served terms as Kidderminster and later South Worcestershire MP. Sir Gerald seemed to be able to get his smile and moustache on every photograph, thus ensuring publicity both for him and the cause. The development of WLS was also aided by the backing of Herefordshire cider giants Bulmers, in particular one managing director, Peter Pryor, who had a thing about trains. In 1970... The company allowed the Worcester Society and some others to start storing their possessions on its premises in Hereford. The year before WLS had begun living the dream when it purchased its very own steam locomotive. An energetic two-year funding raising campaign 
had produced a £2,000 kitty, but a stroke of good fortune led to the society acquiring a rare inside-cylindered 060 saddle tank Kitson Carnarvon 5474 from Stuarts and Lloyds of Corby for only £330. Apparently the management of the massive steelworks where the Kitson worked in the quarries were keen to see some of their departing steam locos preserved and WLS was in the right place at the right time. With part of the money remaining, the Society bought an ex-Great Western Pannier tank, number 5786, for £1,100, and so by the end of 1969, it was the proud owner of not one but two steam locos. Initially, they were housed with the Seven Valley Railway at Bridge North, but in 1970, they moved down to Bulmers, where an attractive new railway centre was being created. The Society's preservation team did a lot of work on the Kitson, including external restoration and painting, and when the Daily Telegraph produced a story on the rescue of 5474, it was read by members of the Kitson family who had emigrated to Canada 50 years before and were unaware of any of their locos were still steaming. They wrote to David Wood, then chairman of WLS, when an open day was held at Bulmers in 1971 to celebrate the full restoration of 5474, three of the Kitson family were among 2,500 others to see Sir Gerald Nabarro and Peter Pryor unveil the Carnarvon's nameplate. However, in 1993, the WLS was on the move again when Bulmers announced the railway centre land was needed for factory expansion. The WLS is still there today, and parties of WLS members regularly make the 340 round trip for working weekends. Current Chairman Mike King said, There has been a resurgence in interest in the society in recent years, and now we have 230 members spread all over the UK. There is even one in South Africa, but understandably we don't see him too often. For anyone interested in steam locos and all that goes with them, WLS holds meetings on the first Tuesday of every month at 7.30pm in Barbourne Ex-Servicemen's Club Worcester. There's always a good speaker and a bar to keep the guards whistle wet. And you perhaps won't be surprised to know that this article is associated with a number of amazing old photographs, including a packed loco yard at Shrub Hill, Worcester, during a strike in 1955, and some of the old steam engines. And Sir Gerald Navarro with his enormous handlebar moustache. Another story. A major strategy for tackling climate change and ensuring the city becomes carbon neutral by 2030 will be put to the public. Worcester City Council's Environment Committee backed the council's sorry backed the council's environmental sustainability strategy at a meeting on Tuesday of this week which sets out ways to reduce all its carbon emissions 
as well as work towards making the whole city carbon neutral, grow a low carbon carbon economy, protect the city's natural environment and reduce consumption. Councillor Tom Collins said he was impressed with the document and it was an incredibly good starting point. He said asking what Worcester would look like in 2030 was now a legitimate question and the council needed to not only look at what it was doing to reduce its carbon footprint and become carbon neutral, but also encourage the public to change its behaviour wherever and whenever it could. The council should be using its influence on anywhere it can have an impact and not just over what it is within our direct control, he said. Councillor Collins said if people still had single glazed windows and were driving around in petrol cars in 2030, then they had not done their bit. The council said it will make all its own buildings as energy efficient as possible and replace its fleet with zero emission vehicles as a start. The council has admitted the city cannot become carbon neutral through its work alone and has vowed to lobby the government for vital national changes, such as decarbonising the electricity grid, to provide grants for electric vehicles and to provide funding for mass retrofitting of insulation in residential homes. Councillor Andy Roberts said the council needed to be honest with the public, particularly over everyday matters such as petrol and electric cars and older gas boilers which would need replacing eventually when more environmentally friendly boilers became publicly available. The City Council agreed to declare a climate emergency in July 2019 with an ambition to become carbon neutral by 2030. The document will now go to consultation with a view to being adopted in May. Councillor Tracy Biggs said if the council wanted to be realistic about becoming carbon neutral by 2030, then it needed to give the document the credibility it deserved. She said the council needed to be creative over presenting it to the public during consultation, rather than just using standard online surveys. And now from the environment to the church. A woman has received an award after 47 years of working for the Diocese of Worcester. Alison Vincent, aged 66, was awarded with the Cross of St. Wolston, which pays tribute to individuals who have made an outstanding contribution to the life of the church in the Diocese of Worcester. The award was presented by the Bishop of Worcester, the Right Reverend Dr. John Ing. Mrs. Vincent from Malvern said... I was completely shocked and very honoured when Bishop John announced that I would be this year's recipient of the Wolfston Cross. I've had such a happy time working at the Diocese of Worcester with lovely colleagues and some great friendships. I feel very blessed to have found a job which I enjoyed enough to stay so long. Mrs Vincent joined the Diocesan office as an office junior in July 1972. It was only her second ever job. And when she retired just before Christmas, she had spent over two-thirds of her life working for the Diocese of Worcester. She worked her way up 
to be office manager, and during her time in the diocese, she worked with four different bishops of Worcester and five different bishops of Dudley. Technology has also changed completely since she started. Initially, she worked with a typewriter and Gestetner copier. Bishop John said, Alison's record of service to the Diocese of Worcester is an outstanding one. I'm delighted to give her this award, which recognises the great debt of gratitude we owe her. Diocesan Secretary John Preston said, It's incredible that Alison's commitment and dedication to the diocese stretches back over nearly 50 years. Throughout that time, she has served parishes in a wide variety of ways, particularly enabling millions of pounds of gift aid to be claimed for them. And I'm so pleased that she has received this award in honour of her work. St. Wolston, who lived from 1008 to 1095, served as the Bishop of Worcester under the last two Saxon kings and the first two Norman kings. A long-awaited date for the opening of the heavily delayed Worcestershire Parkway has still not been confirmed, as the latest timetables reveal direct trains to London will not be leaving the station until at least mid-May. Worcestershire County Council said it will be revealing the opening date as soon as it can, but whilst building work at the £22 million station has finished, thorough and lengthy tests still need to be completed before it can open. The latest National Rail timetables show trains stopping at Worcestershire Parkway between Gloucester and Birmingham from February the 2nd, having been pushed back on several occasions already. Worcestershire Parkway's place on the timetables has moved December the 18th last year to January the 27th to this weekend. Setbacks to the station's opening date in the last two months come years and years come after years and years of delays promises were made that Worcestershire Parkway would initially be up and running by autumn 2017 then changed to mid 2018 and opening dates have been pushed back and back ever since despite breakthroughs in the last couple of years in actually getting the station built it comes as a culmination of decades of talks and work dating back to at least the 1970s. At the end of last year, the Office of Rail and Road, OWR, which regulates the safety of the country's railways, said it had not yet received the relevant independently verified documents from Worcestershire County Council or from SLC Rail, who is managing the scheme on behalf of the council. OWR said it was standing by waiting for the information so it could give the green light for the station to finally open. As a result of the latest delays, Great Western Railway, GWR, has been advising its customers who had booked tickets to claim refund or travel from other nearby stations. Councillor Ken Pollock, Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure, said, Construction of the station is complete. We are nearing the conclusion of the standard rail industry rigorous entry into service process where all the new equipment and facilities are being tested and commissioned ahead of final sign-off for the station to become operational. 
We will confirm the station opening date as soon as we can. After witnessing a number of river rescues, a keen canoeist has issued a plea to build steps along the banks in order to help people who fall into the water find an easier way out. The call has been made by Robin Powell, who has been canoeing on the River Severn in Worcester for the past 70 years. He said, from the railway bridge down to the cathedral, there is nowhere to get out of the water, even if you have a life belt. The high wall upstream is impossible to climb up. Mr Powell was speaking after a man was rescued from the river uh, this last Tuesday. He was in the cold water for 30 minutes before a ladder was lowered into the water which enabled him to get out. Mr Powell witnessed the rescue and said the ladder was the saving grace. The 80-year-old said there used to be steps by the fountains. There also used to be steps upstream of Worcester Bridge, but not now. So there is no way to get out from the railway bridge until you get to the ferry steps. That is a very long way. At the very least, they could build steps, so if a person gets hold of a life belt, they can get out of the water. The man who was pulled from the river was taken to hospital after fire crews from Worcester and Malvern used a ladder and a raft to rescue him from an area near South Quay at 11.36am. Several police officers and paramedics were also at the riverside to help. The man was taken to hospital by ambulance for treatment and recovery. Concerns remain over heavy congestion on one of the city's busiest roads as plans for a new 74-bed care home have been revealed as the latest in a long line of planned major developments in the area. A plan for the care home on the remaining part of the old park and ride site in John Conwim Drive off Droitwich Road has been submitted to Worcester City Council. The new care home would be the latest in a long list of potential developments in and around Droitwich Road, including a new little supermarket, an expanded 785-plot Muslim cemetery, a new state-of-the-art hockey centre, as well as the North Worcester Primary Academy, which opened last September. A controversial plan for a new McDonald's drive through was withdrawn at the end of last year. Councillor Mel Alcott, who represents Claines, said it was a refreshing change to see developments on brownfield rather than plaguing green space. She said the county needed to be visionary and work towards a car-free city to combat traffic in the often congested Droitwich Road and the rest of the city. Traffic remains a concern, in particular without a park and ride service, she said. As a city councillor, I find transport particularly frustrating as it comes under Worcestershire County Council. With roughly 100,000 residents in Worcester, the county must be visionary and work towards a car-free city. A new, suitably located and fit-for-purpose park and ride service must also be reinstated if we are to stand any chance of reducing congestion and pollution. The planning application by Prime and Sanders Senior Living said residents would not own cars and staff would be encouraged to use public transport. 
Shift patterns would spread traffic from the care home across the day, it said. The University of Worcester has faced criticism from students over the cancellation of the night bus bus service. The University of Worcester and Worcester Students' Union launched the service in 2019 with First Bus. The aim was to provide a safe and affordable option for getting home from the city centre to the St John's area for both students and the public. The service started at 10pm with the last bus departing at 3.30am. Journeys cost £1. The university has said it is no longer viable to run, provide this service. A spokesman said the university was pleased to be able to pilot a night bus service for students in partnership with First Bus and supported by Worcester Students' Union as we are always keen to explore new initiatives to develop the student experience. Unfortunately, take-up of the service during semester one was not strong enough to make it feasible to extend into semester two, partly due to issues around the operating hours. We continue to work with the Students' Union to explore alternative options for the next academic year, and would welcome a wider discussion around public transport for the whole community. The Students' Union has already negotiated an agreement with a local taxi firm to offer fixed rates for students. The safety of students is always paramount, and together with the Worcester Students' Union, the university runs a number of campaigns throughout the year to promote personal safety and well-being. The university also has a dedicated security team on campus 24-7 who provide visible support in the city centre on busy student nights, as well as two dedicated police community support officers. Students have argued that scrapping the night bus service is irresponsible and makes it more dangerous for people trying to get home at night, whether that be from nights out or late lectures. It is too expensive for most students to get taxis. Buses provide an essential service. Now, here's an environmentally friendly story. A popular event which encourages people to swap their clothes instead of buying them new has proven to be a successful one. The clothes swap took place at the Pump House Environment Centre 66 people updated their wardrobe whilst also reducing their carbon footprint. Volunteer and community coordinator for the Duckworth Worcestershire Trust, Anda Phillips, said this is positive community action tackling the wastefulness of the fast fashion industry. Swapping is a way to renew your wardrobe without the environmental impact. According to Oxfam, the carbon footprint of new clothes bought in the UK every month is greater than flying a plane round the world 900 times. This most recent clothes swap session saw a 20% increase in visitors and the total number of items swapped in the fast and furious two hours was 383. The event was run with the support of seven amazing volunteers who spent four hours working hard to get clothes out on the rails before and during the event (coughs) and then packing up. The clothes swap (coughs) couldn't continue without their support so 
as the Duckworth Worcestershire Trust representative, I'd like to thank them all for their invaluable help from the bottom of my second-hand clothes-loving heart. The next clothes swap will be held at the Pump House on Thursday, April the 23rd, that's St George's Day, hmm, from 6pm to 8pm. Ander added, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation claims we incinerate or send to landfill a truckload of clothing and textiles every single second. Be part of the solution and swap. Don't shop with us. Now, people across Worcester have shared their frustration over changes to how they pay gas and electric bills. Concerns were raised after British Gas ended their contract with Paypoint and signed a new contract with the Post Office and PayZone on January the 1st. This means that those who top up their gas and electric on a key or a card may have to change where they go to do this. Susanna Johns from Giants Green said, I know lots of people are moaning and trying to swap to other electric companies. I didn't even get a letter to say they were stopping it. I used to get mine from the co-op over the road, and now I have to walk into St John's or town just to get gas. A spokesperson from British Gas said, We're continually reviewing our suppliers to ensure we get the best service and value for our customers, and we decided to move this service to PayZone as part of this review. Ultimately, we intend that more of our customers will be closer to a top-up point as a result of this change, as PayZone has committed to adding new locations where we find a customer need, especially in rural areas. If a customer finds they are now further away from a top-up point, we would ask them to contact us so we can double-check this is the case. If we do identify a gap in our coverage, then we would work with PayZone to add new locations in the area. Lewis Allcraft, Chief Commercial Officer at PayPoint, said, After a successful partnership lasting more than a decade, British Gas took the decision to work with an alternative payment provider from the 1st of January 2020. This means that we can no longer offer top-up payment facilities to people who relied on their local paypoint retailer for access to gas and electricity. Any British gas customers who want to continue using their local store to make energy payments can view the list of alternative energy partnerships on the paypoint website. And that brings us to the end of this week's news. Um, it remains for me to thank Duncan Wind for his excellent engineering and my fellow readers, Jan Norris and Ian Rowe. And just a reminder that when the music has finished, if you want to hear the obituaries which have been in this last week's papers, then um, please tune back in and stay with it. So it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off and I hope you have a good week. Bye bye. So deaths which have been announced in the last week. Uh, this uh, first funeral will have already taken place. Myra Elaine Prosser passed away on the 9th of January. Her funeral service will have been on January the 31st. Uh, donations, if desired, however, can be uh, sent to EJ Gummery and Son, 
6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU, and they are for St Richard's Hospice. Funerals still to take place. Janet Eileen Williams, née Jeffreys of Clanes, passed away January the 10th. Funeral service at St John the Baptist Church, Clanes, on Monday the 3rd of February at 12.15pm, followed by interment at Astwood Cemetery. Flowers are requested, but also donations for the Immaculate Society can be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gumry, details as before. Mary Willis passed away January 15th. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on February the 5th at 10.45am. Donations, if desired, to age concern can be left at the service or sent directly to the charity. Thomas Ernest Ballard, known as Tom, passed away January the 11th. His funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 5th of February at 12.15. Again, family flowers only. Donations, if desired, for Acorns Children's Hospice, Worcester, can be left um, at the service or sent directly to the charity. Enquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care, 01905 Uh, David Hemingway passed away on January the 16th. Funeral service will take place at St Clement's Church on February the 6th at 11.30am. No further details. Keith Edwin Rice of Ombersley Road passed away January the 8th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium chapel on thursday february the 6th at 11:30 a.m followed by interment at astwood cemetery uh, donations if desired for parkinson's uk can be left on the plate or sent to ej gumry and son details as before jean nora sandbrook passed away january the 17th Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, February the 7th at 2.30pm. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice can be left at the service. Again, or inquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care details as before. Michael Heron, known as Mick, died... Um, at St Richard's Hospice peacefully on January 21st. Funeral service on Monday the 17th of February at Worcester Crematorium at 11.30am. Donations for St Richard's Hospice and Cancer Research UK can be left in the donation box or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR1 1 UW Mary Elizabeth Taylor passed away January 19th Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday February 21st at 10am Donations to Cancer Research UK can be left on the collection plate or sent to Cooperative Funeral Care details as before 
And finally, uh, the announcement of Geoffrey Allen Ryland, who passed away on January the 12th. Um, a true gentleman, but no details of any funeral service or undertakers. So, um, our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And the thought for the day is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 17 and 18. Before God, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him?' 